come. It is time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. back dreadfuls you're listening to another episode of left for dread the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics we are not a spoiler free podcast so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen i'm one of your hosts right your other host chris and ah, not the bees not the bees all oh, my eyes there's my eyes it's in my eyes <laughs> Not my favorite iteration of this movie, but that should not come as a shock to anyone. Bear, I'm going to bear the lead. I love Nick Cage so much. So you, so people can probably guess what my favorite <laughs> movie is. Chris, I'm so surprised. I'm so yeah. surprised. <laughs> this is my shocked face at how surprised I am. What are we reviewing today? The Wicker Man. The Wicker Man. Both from versions. 1970. Both versions, yes. The one from 1973 and the one from 2006 that Chris is obsessed with. It's true. I sent Chris uh, a 16-minute video of everything wrong with the Wicker Man from 2006. Courtesy of Cinema Sins. I mean, it's just, yeah. it, it's this movie. Okay, this movie is not good, but it's so. It's, it's so, so enjoyable good. in all like the most entertaining ways because it's just it's just an hour and a half of Nick Cage just being unhinged, having zero subtlety, yelling at people, losing his mind, being the worst, best, worst detective ever. Oh, it hits all my buttons. I love it. <laughs> Flapjack agrees. Yes! Flapjack is the ultimate seal of approval. So Yeah, I- well. So, uh, right, we can end the podcast. Flapjack. Flapjack's okay. It's great. Poor poor dog doesn't know what's good for him. Although, to be fair, I did sit on the couch, uh, unplug the headphones, and he watched the entirety of the 1973 version with me. And I think the only reason why he stayed gum was because they sang throughout most of that movie. See, it's interesting because like, I've only ever seen the Nick Cage Wicker, Wicker Man. So this is my I first time watching. I paid to see that movie. Yes. No. Money well spent. No. Money horribly spent. <laughs> no. I, um, I, I, no. <laughs> but, but Nick Cage. I know, I know. So like, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you pit the two of these versions up against each other, one of them is an incel's like worst nightmare come true which like does happy things to me the other one you really see where Ari Aster got his inspiration for Midsummer, and I'm to I think this is just my take I don't think Ari Aster got any sort of inspiration from the 2006 Nick Cage version (laughs) Oh, oh no! Of the Wicker Man. <laughs> I mean, that is that is completely one hundred percent true. Should we just get into the original right now? Yes. Uh, okay. First all of right. all, Christopher Lee, thank you for yes. blessing us with your presence in yes. the Rest entirety of your life. life. Right. I mean, exactly. Thank you so much. He, I loved watching him in this. He also said in 
several interviews and a commentary that there is at least 20 to 25 minutes of that movie that is gone. That like got lost in mysterious fire. Right. Like got cut and then was never seen again, at least is what he implied. And that makes me sad that there could have been almost 30 more minutes of the Wicker Man. And I get why in the 70s, that movie would have been scary. Christopher Lee considers it a cult-like movie, but he doesn't think that it's a true horror movie. But it, it is for the time. It has horror elements for sure. I mean, it's definitely one of the most iconic folk horror films yes. out there. I don't know if it's the first. Do you know? Do you know? I don't. I don't know if it's the first. I know that from some of the things that I've read that there is what they call like an unholy trinity of films that they that that sort of gave birth to folk horror. There isn't just one. Yeah, I, obviously the Wicker Man is 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 one of them. But it's it's definitely not the first. I think the the first in this particular unholy trinity that they're talking about is Witchfinder General from 1968 with Vincent Price, then Blood on Satan's Claw from 1971, and then Wicker Man from 1973. Okay, okay. So I mean, it's yeah, it's still all within the relatively. Oh my god, I cannot talk. It's all within the same relative time period. But I yeah. think uh, Wicker Man crystallizes what like the most foundational elements of four core and like obviously uh i don't think midsomar I, I feel like i don't know I, I i can't really say for sure whether or not like midsomar dethrones the wicker man as like the quintessential folk horror film i mean it it definitely gives it a, a fresh new spin and it gives and it, it really propels those themes into contemporary settings and, and contemporary mediums and it also it also like repackages or like reinterprets a lot of those classic themes for a new audience yeah i mean a lot of the, the biggest thing the, the biggest thing that sorry ari aster sort of like capitalized on and like really zeroed in on were the practices that this isolated group did on their own because it was theirs it was their beliefs their sets of practices and how they were sort of very like nonchalant about it because to them they weren't doing anything wrong i think that that is much more heavily seen in the 2006 version than it is in the 1973 version the 1973 version is just like an aversion to everything christian I, I would I would say it's kind of like a rhetorical argument, like like when you especially when you watch this film like I did for the first time, you know, or if you're a younger person, um, or you're just like just new to horror, or maybe you're just a veteran of horror, um, or a certain type of horror, um, like the more Hollywood slasher, exploitative, pulpy, schlocky type of horror. When you watch The Wicker Man, I can understand the over your overall or at least like the initial reaction of like saying this movie's not scary or this movie's not a horror film and you got to get beyond that mindset because on a certain point yes i can see where they're coming from but 
the point of this movie is not to inundate you with jump scares. Um, that's a, an approach the 2006 version much more relied heavily on. This, the the Wicker Man is a much more I, w- I want to say a pseudo art house approach to horror. It's more atmospheric horror. The horror of it all is the strange alienness and uh, and the fish out of water experience you feel like you when you follow the point of view of the main character, the detective who when you step back and look at the prevailing time the movie has made, it was like the 60s and 70s. It was a heavy, heavy uh, Christian, Anglican, conservative context or background or, you know, the, the society, like, uh, at least in the U.S., predominantly. Also, it was the rise uh, in the 60s and 70s of a burgeoning counterculture. So the movie took those societal contexts into play and, and played it up uh, where, you know, the cop representing like law and like civilized society and christianity or christianity and you're thrown into like this alien weird self-contained microcosm and the strangeness and the horror quote-unquote is like this encountering of people who have entirely a different way of thinking practicing worshiping whatnot um and uh, I mean, the really the true horrific moment at the end was like the 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 final moment, you know, when they see this giant twenty foot tall uh, effigy uh, and the actual burning of the effigy. But um, the so much of the the horror comes of uh, the horror of the wick of the original Wicker Man comes from just bleeding, just watching and being really observant of like all. Of like the surroundings, uh, the primary and auxiliary characters, how they act, how they think, uh, and like how they act in in a way that's alien to us, but so, it seems so natural to them. And and obviously like, the capstone was like the burning of it, but like for the most part, like the horror comes from the character development, the character drama, and like the clashing of these two poles, like the, the detective versus this community and their cultures and their mores and you know uh them clashing and then also this the dramatic irony at the end where uh it's explaining how like the cops point of view about religion or worshiping or faith is no different than uh that of the of the of the villagers uh, and it, it, it's like it, 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 in that way it's it's like a atmospheric horror and more of like a existentialist horror yeah so on that point like the big the big theme that's sort of essential to this genre is landscape and environment and it's about this juxtaposition between this like beautiful like lush scenery and this horrifying terror of what the character that you're following is going through but the even bigger point that sort of ties all of this together that is the very definition of the genre is isolation so it's this juxtaposition of everything that's going on combined with the isolation of there's no way out so like no cell service, there's no phone on the island, and Nick Cage goes there ever after having bribed someone who flew a plane for deliveries. 
knowing he's not making like he doesn't know it yet but we know he's not making out making it off that island alive especially with the original wicker man it was one of the the it's one of the earlier films to uh set it within a i guess like a i don't know if it's a trope i guess like a pseudo trope or genre it's like daytime horror uh it's a type of horror movie where it's out in the open uh again it's 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 sub- subversive expectations because I feel like that the there has, hasn't been a lot of daytime horror movies. Uh, oh, the, I love that though. Uh, at the time, uh, I mean, obviously since the Worker Man, it's been done quite a bit. But with here, lulled into a false sense of security, it, like it's it's bright, it's sunny, it's you know, especially in the first act of the film when you're getting introduced to the the environment, the characters, like. Yeah, they, they seem a little bit strange. Yeah, they seem really happy. Yeah, they like to sing a lot. Um, but you know, you know, it might be just a regional quirk. The birds are chirping, people are singing. There's nothing weird about it, and then you die. Yeah, it, it lulls it, it lulls into like a false sense of security, and it just creates that cognitive disconnect where like there's like this weird, hor- horrific undertone. A mass by like a seemingly, you know, normal, uh, chipper, upbeat neighborhood, and like mm-hmm. everyone's happy and everyone's content. Um, and then there's like a mysterious darkness underneath that. Which, and then uh, I think the Worker Man did the original really did that well. I mean, the 2006 version, yes, it, it's a day. I mean, it some parts were daytime, but like you know, there's like this one dramatic. Uh, part in the movie where like he finds or he, he gets permission from the leader of the cult. Oh, Sister uh, like, Summer's to, Isle. Yeah, Miss Summer's Isle to exhume the body of Rowan, and then he waits literally until nighttime to dig a dig a grave. It's like, of course, you get. I mean, yeah, he's happy at night. So, um, I mean, so the two thousand eight like, version rides that line, but doesn't. Yeah, I think also like. You know, that that that's a big thing that horror fans reminisce a lot about. Certain horror movies, even when they were under the covers, tucked into their beds at night, there were still things that, like, found their way into their minds and into their memories because it scared them that much. Because it was something that you watched under the covers, like, when your parents were asleep at night. And it's an experience. When you watch something like The Wicker Man, I feel the need. I've never watched... Okay, you're going to think I'm nuts, but I've never watched this movie at night. The, the 1973 or the tw- or 2006 or both? Both. I've never watched them at night. I've only watched them, like, in the middle of the day. I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, like, I'm on some weird level, like, aware. It, it's never, like, a conscious choice. I just like sit down and I, when I was done and I looked at the clock and I looked outside, I was like, oh, the sun's still out. Like I've never, I've never actually like sat down at night to like watch the Wicker Man. And I think you feel that... like it's not the proper mood to watch but, it. No, it, it really isn't though, <laughs> because you're like outside in like this beautiful place. And yes, of course, that is the setting and the feeling that they want you to get from it. But like, I love how like warm and welcoming it is. Now they're not also like warm and welcoming in the 2006 version. Like the 2006 version, what irks me about it is that they rely very, very heavy on this like this like cult thing, 
Like they're capitalizing more about the ritual. Yeah. Uh, more than about the. They're capitalizing on the creepy cult aspect rather than trying to lure you, like you said, into a false sense of security where you do feel like safe and warm and welcome. The 1973 version does that very well. They welcome the him. Like, version is nothing but not subtle. I mean, that's right. Yeah. I mean, I mean like, like Nick Cage is like, it's the writing, it's the dialogue, it's everything. Right, exactly. And it's even the circumstances under, like, he can't just go because there's a missing child. There's always, like, 12 underlying things that have to be wrong. Like, he needed to have something tragic affect him before he decided to do this. He's, like, taking antipsychotics and, like, seeing visions of, like, a dead girl that he, like, couldn't pull out of a car. Throwing the ex-fiance. Right, like, it's just problem after problem after problem. Think of how just like very basic the plot to the 1973 i mean they're they're on when you peel back all the layers on at its most basic form yes it's a police officer that goes to an island to investigate a missing child that's what it is but if you take it for what it is with the 1973 version it just it's 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 it changes the way you watch it. It's a totally different movie. They it, it's kind of like watch. I mean, you know, it's a remake, but it's like watching two different movies because the 2006 took not just the they they took the creepy cult thing and then had to add 12 other things on top of it. Like how many times have you and I said that your audience is smarter than that? Give them fucking credit. I think it's because I mean it's, it's is it a because remake. it's Nick Cage? Well, or is it because I mean, it's a Nick remake. Cage, I, Nick Cage is he's. The, you he's know, just that extra i know he's just that extra i i yeah but i think i think um in terms of like the rest of the production think i i think the my thought is the the production team looked at the the 1973 version and admittedly the 1973 version is it's not really heavy on action it's a slow it's like a slow burn it's more cerebral it's more it's more atmospheric, so that's why I, I, when I, when I describe the nineteen seventy three version, it's more of like an out art house kind of feel. The two thousand six version, it's it's taken from a very very Hollywood blockbuster kind of model. Uh, they wanted to like beef it up with with some scares, beef it up with some like that something something crazy has to happen like every single five minutes just to keep the audience attention wrapped and on edge and and tense uh because when you I, which I is so the... fucking stupid because like imagine watching the wicker man in 1973 and the most shocking and salacious thing that goes on in that movie is a these people don't believe in christ and b there are women just like running around naked and they're totally cool with it i mean that's the difference between a movie in 1970 and like the early aughts you know it's like a lot you know a lot society's changed a lot uh society's view on religion and sexuality and promiscuity um has changed a lot too so i could get that or i mean i i can understand that and i, I and i also also throwing into the mix with the 1973 versus 2006 like 2006 like they're trying to make like a blockbuster hollywood you know, jump scare thought. You know, so they, so if it's not if it's not a jump scare, it's like Nick Cage like hallucinating like a truck, uh, hitting the car twenty times over. Uh, not only to make sure something ha- 
exciting happens on the screen, but to also make sure the audience is still keeping along, because like this is definitely a movie where the audience it treats the audience like they're really dumb, so they they have to beat it with a hammer. It's like, oh yeah, get it, get it. Uh, he's he's an unreal he's an unreal narrator. It's all in his head, right? Right? Oh no, it's a cult, and they're all creepy. Um, but you knew that all along, right? Oh, of course, you, we knew that all along, because like the. Yes, because they're creepy twin children with, and, like, they're creepy kids with the identical braids and uniforms wasn't enough of a clue. Exactly. Like, so, I, I think that the production was afraid that, well, I think they, they swung the complete pendulum, or complete op opposite direction of the pendulum. Like, okay, this movie here... It's very, it's a slow burn. It's very, it's a slow pace. We don't want that. We want, we want people to be jumping out of their seats. We're going to, we're going to try the opposite way. Um, and I can, I can understand that point of view. I can. Um, I mean, can you understand the point of view because it's Nick Cage? Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs> and I think the other reason why the 1973 version has the pacing, uh, it does, it draws a lot on. Not just like the the counterculture and the the society or the the I guess like the the societal norms prevalent at the time. Mm. It also draws from a liter literary I guess heritage. So the the movie was loosely based on a novel called Ritual. I know the main actor that was chosen to play uh, the cop uh, in the Wicker Man. Uh, one of his leading roles, oh my god, one of his leading roles was uh, a particular Agatha Christie crime no novella that was adapted to like TV, I believe. I forget the name of it. I think it was Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. Um, so he was like, he was, he was playing the lead role to Sergeant. Um, and so when, so between the actor and the writing, um, they brought with them this tradition of classic police procedural. Uh, or I'm sorry, they brought this. They brought this tradition of classic British police procedurals into the the framework of the movie, and you can see that. I mean, like Rye said it earlier, uh, not too or Rye said it not too long ago. This movie is the plot is like very simple. It's about a police detective looking for uh, a missing girl, and as he's investigating the town, he sees that you know. The town is not all of what it's supposed to be. The 2006 version took that took that approach very liberally because when you look at it, Nick Cage he's like the worst detective ever. Uh, he's yelling at people. He's out of his jurisdiction. He never follows up on any questions, and it's just superficial set dressing. And the, 70, the 73 version tries to keep with that tone more consistently. Yeah, it also feels like, despite how un I feel like any movie that Nick Cage is in, their main goal is to sort of get him to a place where he goes completely unhinged so that you can have that moment on screen. I get it. It's lovely to watch. However, in a movie like The Wicker Man, that kind of energy is unnecessary. I mean, the only time you really see a large, like a larger than life, like very real reaction from the policeman in the 1973 version is when he finally understands what's going on. When he sees the wicker man, he come like right over that hill. He starts screaming, oh, Jesus Christ. And up until that point, he has sort of remained, like retained his resolve. And he's very like put off, but he doesn't nearly 
get to the place that Nick Cage does. Nick Cage like start like gets on that island at like an eight and ends at like a thirteen. This poor bastard like gets to the island at like a two and 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 dies at like a ten. So there's a progression there. There's character development. I love how Lord Summer's Isle sort of like has this air of He's a chaotic neutral if I've ever met one because he has this like beautiful confidence about him and this like nonchalance at the same time. But like, you know, deep down, like what he's doing is not like, okay. but there's nothing about him that's seemingly threatening or or anything like that. He's very like intelligent and philosophical and like has conversations with the policeman about like faith and belief and, and, and the system that they have on the island and it's this whole thing and you try to see that in the 2006 version and it basically always ends up with nick cage like defying that and calling these people fucking crazy and like you're i get what you're doing it lacked finesse <laughs> yes the the 73 version does it with class it does it with it's 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 classic British. It does it with class, finesse. Uh, it's a classic like, British British Hammer film. Like it is yeah. like British to the literal tea that they drink. But the 2006 version is a bastardized American version of it, and it shows. I mean, I agree. It's it's a it's not a good film. I mean, but it's I I I love it so much because Nick Cage just brings this wild unhinged energy and it's i mean like the wicker man 2006 it's it's supposed to be a horror movie it is so unintentionally and funny and oh and, yeah and it's which give which gives it like so it gives me so much glee to watch it because especially and, because that not the bee scene is got cut from a lot of the versions like yeah that was the unrated the, version i mean like yeah. like the 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 theatrical cut um the theater, doesn't have that exactly they they have the voiceover while uh you can hear certain parts of that scene play in the background but the what you actually see on the screen is the parade of villagers cultists marching nick cage and carrying him this sack and then you see the he, see him being burned in the effigy, and then there's the following scene where Sister Willow and Sister Honey or Sister Apple, I forget, um, uh, the blonde, the one of the blonde villagers, like they're back to in quote Nick Cage. Of course, it's another fucking flower. Yeah. Also yeah. rude. <laughs> Subtlety. <laughs> rude. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so they're, they're repeating the cycle where they're back in like Washington or where, wherever they are on, um, or, or California, wherever they are on the, on the West coast or in the U S and you know, they're, they're repeating the cycle here. We have a super, super young baby face, James Franco, and he's being seduced into, uh, the, he, he's, he's being drawn into the honeypot. So, to, so to speak. So. Uh, so that's the end of the the under, which uh, I think under it's funny that you use honeypot because that is like what that that particular version of the aisle is known for is their honey import because again you needed to have an extra layer it couldn't just be like a like a hippie aisle like a hippie commune island or everything they do themselves they had to add the bees on top of that and Nick Cage has to be allergic to bees or 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 foreshadowing 
Nick Cage kills a a drone um in the like the, like the, the first act of the film and oh oh look look uh the the Nick Cage uh it, it was also a drone that was sacrificed for the greater good of the of the bee colony. Uh, I do so. also <laughs> like how she goes after yet another policeman. I think like yeah. are cops their MO. Mhm. I I feel like I feel like they they manipulate like either their like sense of justice or like their ego or their bravado to like to prey on those types of personality flaws or weaknesses if you call them that but at the same time like the way that um that <laughs> uh the original movie played out like they it seems so far-fetched about uh, about the a hundred things that had to go right to lead nick cage to get to the island like like were, were the cultists did the cultists actually fake the death of the mom and, and the, the daughter because that the, the two missing body mystery was never addressed ever again after the first 10 minutes of the film. Uh, why didn't Willow didn't say right at first, like, oh, hey, uh, this is your daughter instead of my daughter. Uh, like, like if you just she just said your daughter at the beginning, you know, the, the, why go to the subterfuge or like you didn't need that subterfuge to get Nick Cage. If, if he was saying, oh, it's my daughter and she's trouble and she's missing. Of course, he's going to go. But. She was so confident enough in Nick Cage to care about this random daughter that has absolutely no connection to. But you know, maybe maybe you can write it off. Nick Cage being a good cop, even though he's not a good he's not a good cop. Good cop. Uh, and there, there was uh, or like the elaborate plot where like try, to try to convince Nick Cage that there's a conspiracy foot. Like, why did he need to get locked in? Like uh like an underground cistern for the like the the rest of the night what i mean why i mean aside from like the objective reasoning of like oh yeah like suspense you know we gotta we gotta shake things yeah, but up also they needed they needed to make him think that he was onto something so that's why like oh you're onto us hopefully you'll die here but we know you're not going to <laughs> it's strange we mentioned like just a just a position and it's weird because like how like the the third act reveal oh my gosh um we play every chapter of your stay on this island was planned meticulous to a t and so like they tried to come off as like these like super criminal puppeteers and marry uh uh but at the same time how the 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 everyday how they act every day in regards to the cage speaks nothing to the fact um like the like the fact like the like sister rose like that scene where nick cage is interrogating her and she says she'll be burnt and then and she corrects himself oh she was burnt like how are you this clever or are you really as clever as you're trying to be uh but i mean you can write up the bad writing or but i didn't yes, get i think i, I didn't will. get that the cultists were as sneaky and my like and, and controlling and manipulative as they were. It just because like so much of the acting was so bad and the dialogue was oh my god so yeah. bad. I love the musical bits from 1973. I love that Christopher Lee as Lord Summersile ends up like in drag at the end. I love how to determine who gets what done to them. They have swords that they have to walk like put their head through like in the shape of a, a 
pentagram. I just, there are just so many, there are so many subtle things that make that movie what it is that don't exist in the, in the 2006 version. I will say though, Ellen Burstyn, I love her. She can be a villain in any horror movie, any fucking time. Don't care. She's fantastic as an actress. She was probably the best part of that movie. And she had the least amount of screen time. Which I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to parallel the sort of mystique around Lord Summer's Isle the way they did in the first one. But I just love the presentation that Christopher Lee has with himself as Lord Summer's Isle. Like when you meet him, he's wearing like this like like checked tweed suit and like has a very specific look about him and then he's, he's like a, a very eccentric british man but he's a scholar and he's like a philosopher and exactly he's like, yeah. and then and then in the end he's just wearing like he's he's wearing like a, a long black wig like like a, i think it was like a purple like a very long yeah. purple tunic uh, very I mean, like flower power, like yes. very like hippie chick. Totally hippie, I and love like he, he's wearing like it. like an olive branch and like a scythe in his other hand or something like that. Uh, so and it, and it's again like it's like polar opposites. Like this movie loves to like you know take contrasting elements and smash them together to create this weird tension. And like Christopher Lee just like marching, like marching the parade it looks so gleeful and happy and like and it's creepy but like oddly endearing at the same time so and it's just christopher lee like he that that man like is such a master of his craft and charisma i just think that there are certain yeah there are just there are certain things that the 2006 version sorely lacks like like class and finesse yeah, but if you're like me and have like a pretty low bar for entertainment, you just love Nick Cage, just just being Nick Cage. I God. loved him and Mandy. Yeah, I loved him and Mandy. I see there are places in film where Nick Cage and his like unhinged behavior really work. Mom this and Dad was not one of them. <laughs> Mom and Dad, Mandy. I'm sure Color Out of Space is gonna oh. be a wild fucking ride. I cannot wait. I Kiss of the Vampire, we haven't done that one yet, but let me tell you, it works in that movie. I mean... I just think that there's a time and a place for it, and it just, there was no room for it in this. Like, it's, the Wicker Man is meant to be a slow burn, but even the pacing of the first one, it doesn't feel slow. It feels like it's very consistent and has a decent pace. Like, it's sort of like, it, it literally rolls... Right. It rolls like those beautiful rolling hills of that entire island. It's stunning. But I feel like as soon as you take something like that and you feel the need to remake it, you're gonna create, like, nooks and crannies and things that, like, you don't need. And I think with the, the 2006 version, like, I, I don't... I think they... I think it was a deliberate choice to make it as unhinged as it was just for lack. Oh, yeah, like, I, I think sure. it's just, just for lack of like they were probably afraid that like the 1973 version wouldn't appeal to the mass uh, like the general mass audience right but uh, then like have have nick cage have like one issue not like a cacophony of issues like have it be a crisis of faith or have it be the accident or have his weird thing be his allergy to bees. But when you take all three of those things and you throw in the essence of this movie, it just turns into a convoluted screaming mess. 
which yeah. is what I, that movie was. I, I wonder if it's like a chicken or the egg uh, scenario where like it, it, where the screenwriter the script this like how it was written was already gone so the big good begin with and like who who fits this energy nick cage let's have him on or or did nick cage was was nick cage brought on uh and then like the the screen right or the screenwriting and the tone and the production kind of morphed around the energy that he brings naturally i'm really curious about that we should look that up and then and then make a post about it because i would be i would be curious I don't know. I mean, I mean, again, just just a position is like the like the 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 founding theme of the Wicker Man. So yes, so it works. Not to was a bad movie, but I love it. I, know. <laughs> I love it so days. much. Um, I'll say this. So when we started this episode, um, you asked me about like the foundations of folk horror and what went into that, and I talked about the unholy trinity of of folk horror films that still stand that hasn't really changed but i did find something while we were recording that talks about a film that is believed to be the literal like beginning of folk horror um yeah so the origins of folk horror can be traced back to the silent film area era excuse me the Gollum and the Phantom Carriage take their cues from folklore and superstition, but it was 1922's Hexen, with disturbing images of witchcraft and ancient belief systems uh, intruding on rural settings, that laid the foundations for traditional folk to folklore to grow from decades later. So it's this movie from 1922 that I'm pretty sure is on our list. It's like in one of the many lists that we have on our board, it's on there. But that has the more witchcraft approach to to folk horror. Because like we talked about, folk horror sort of it has this basis around folklore. But it's not just folklore. Sometimes it's deranged witches and sometimes it's just the occult. Or or paganism or uh neo Or paganism or Celtic druids in the in the case of the Wicker Man. So yeah, it's it 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 really has this tapestry that you can comb through and really do something with. But again, when you try to do something modern, Ari Aster aside, I thought when I saw The Wicker Man from 2006 that that was the direction we were headed in, and it was sad. But then here comes Ari Aster with something like Midsummer, and there's sort of not a revival, but like a reawakening to folk horror and this attention to a beginning that people might not necessarily know about when midsummer came out do you know have any idea how many articles i saw that were like before you watch midsummer here's some other folk horror movies you should watch first and the wicker man was on there not the 2006 version <laughs> people need to know the dark not, not the, the true dark horrors out there no not, not the 2006 version but yeah so I know you love Nick Cage, but it's a terrible movie. I know. I no. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. I. It's a bad. It's a badly written movie, and and there's no subtlety. There's no no subtlety. Finesse. What's that? Every, there, it, it's it's there's no scalpel. It's like it's like a giant. It's a giant bandsaw. It's a giant chainsaw. Uh, and and a mallet. Uh, 
this this movie makes as much noise as it possibly can on purpose. If you if you want to met if we're allowing for multiple metrics of success, yes, it really really tanked at the box office. Yes, it got like a fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but uh, the yeah. scene um is like one of the most memed memed yes. uh, moments of all time, and like memes are eternal, so. It's a win in my book. <laughs> Nicolas Cage will forever live in infamy and Giphy and GIF keyboards are used around the world. Yes. 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 In a way, in a way that that uh, our protagonist in the 1973 version, poor, poor Sa- Sa- Sergeant Neil Howie, um, you know, our, our hero, Edward Malice. He attained true immortality through memes. He is as the sun, eternal and, and ever bright, out. ever shining. Get the fuck out. He's delusional. <laughs> You've been drinking too much mead. No, not enough. <laughs> I would say, I would say all in all, if you need a good laugh, watch the 2006 version, but do not judge the legacy of the Wicker Man based on that movie. I have two random follow-up thoughts that I want to present to you. Um, one, have you seen or just re- read anything about the apparent spiritual successor to the 1973 Wicker Man? It's called The Wicker Tree. I've heard of it. I've okay, heard it was terrible. I've heard it was... But I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. I heard really mixed things about it. The only thing I really... I know, like, Christopher Lee makes a cameo in it. Oh, good Jesus, Lord. As Lord Summersile? Uh, I think it's someone else. I don't think it's Summersile. Oh, well, that's... Then no. Get out. Okay. I was just curious. I, I wonder if it's even worth our time to, to even explore. Probably not. I mean, I wouldn't mind exploring it. I see no reason why not. Especially because I don't, I think based on some of the films, some of the other films that we talked about in this episode, that we should absolutely watch and do episodes on. I don't think we're done with folk horror in the least. So I I, I don't think it's a waste of time to watch it. I just think that if we're going to do that, we should sort of like pair up this little world of, of folk horror that we're trying to build and and do them all not together, but within a frame of each other. Mm-hmm. Like and... I would love to wa- I would love to do an episode on what is believed to be the movie that like started all of this. Mm-hmm. It's from the 1920s. We if we can find Nosferatu, we'll find this one. I'm not, you know, I'm sure I'm not worried. I, I I don't think it'll be too too hard to find. I mean I we stayed. If I can that, find then... on DVD, yeah. I will find this. And then this is like a completely. I I just thought of this question. I'm really new to this new subculture that's been, uh, well, I guess quote unquote new, but it's been getting a lot of traction, especially in the pandemic, COVID nineteen society we live in. Uh, because everyone I, has had time to sort of discover things. Yes. Have you heard of this? Uh, it's right now. It's more. It's more of a trend, or I guess an aesthetic that's uh, social media driven. It's called cottagecore. Have you heard of this? No. 
So, okay. Uh, so, Cottage oh, Core. Oh, no. So, Cottage Core is like this. It's been around for a while. But uh, it's the, it's right now it's mostly uh, an internet aesthetic. So, it's it's circulated through like Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, you know, all that stuff. And it's a aesthetic which celebrates and um, romanticizes traditional skills and crafting and a lifestyle harkening back to classical English countryside kind of vistas. So like a lot of, like uh, so like uh, lots of foraging and baking and pottery and knitting and 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 um, you know having picnics in the middle of uh, in the middle of the woods. Um, and I'm I'm wondering it's 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 like a being connected to the environment, to the country, to ruralness, and the again it's like a it's a very very romanticized version of that. But um, uh, we we've been talking about folk horror and how its connection to uh, rural society, connection to uh, folklore, pagan rituals, um, like, uh, simple, simple, not like, not like anti-modern or anti-capitalist, but more like an alternative to those types of, um, modes of living. And I, I wonder if the, I wonder, well, first of all, the first, my, my first, I guess, question A was, have you heard of Cottagecore? And question B, do you think folk horror like the Wicker Man or like Midsommar, uh, had a hand in like developing or moving, moving or providing some like the imagery or the cultural aesthetics or like the, the, I guess like the overarching elements that you see in Cottagecore. Uh, I know that's like a really big question, especially because like you, you, you're literally just learning about this right now, but like you could just look up like in your, in your Instagram, hashtag Cottagecore. Um, and, and you could, you could see, you could get like a firsthand look at like what they mean or what, what it is or what it feels or what it's supposed to intimate. And like, there's, there's tons of other like sub, I guess, cultures in that there's like fairy core and goblin core and witch core and, and farm core and like the, 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 the cores go on and on and on. So, uh, I've never seen in like any internet discourse. Uh, like on the connection between folk horror and cottage core, and I was just this is I mean I'm, this is going way off topic from like horror, like regular horror discussion, but I'm wondering if that's something that I want to get your thoughts about it because like cottage core right now is like a huge thing in society and um and obviously like you know Ari Aster brought in Midsommar, which is like so basically one... everyone is like retreating to the woods. And, like, retreating to this lifestyle of the world's going to shit, I will become self-sustained. Yes, or I just want to live like a hobbit, or like an elf, or like an old lady, or an old, old lady who lives in the woods. That's like, bread. Yes, yes. Baking, baking and taking, like, baking your own stuff and, and posting on Instagram is, like, a very popular thing on, on Cottagecore. So I was just wondering, do you think there's a connection be- between folklore and Cottagecore? I think that when a certain aesthetic or theme presents itself in a movie and that movie does very well, I think that there are people that have enjoyed that aesthetic their whole lives and probably other other folks are sort of like blasé about it or people 
bullied them for it. Now all of a sudden it's cool. I was definitely one of those kids. I was a total weirdo from day one, loved horror movies. Now it's totally cool to in, be into that and like be a nerd and, and be into horror movies and true crime. And like none of that is taboo. I mean, true crime is still kind of taboo, but it's not nearly as bad as it used to be. So I think hey, there's back in the day you get beat up for like yeah like anime <laughs> right like now I feel like you there are groups of people that are sort of coming out of the woodwork that are like finding each other because they have this common ground in whatever this is so I think on some level like I think it piqued interest for some folks and I think for other folks it sort of gave them permission. It's real, yeah. I, yeah, I think cool. it either that's like a, created a plausible answer. Yeah, yeah. I think it either like created an interest with people, or like gave other people who were sort of already there. I don't want, I don't want to say like before it was cool because that's not what I mean by it. But like it sort of gave them permission to like feel comfortable enough to be like, no, this is a thing I enjoy. Not that they needed that permission. I want to be really clear about that. Not that I think that they needed that permission to sort of exist in whatever state they're existing in. I'm just saying that in the time of a pandemic and cancel culture and all this other shit that's going on, sometimes I think that some people, especially when you like something that's like a part of you, sometimes you, depending on who you are as a person, you might feel like you need to be given permission not saying you need to exist like you you need it to exist i just want to be like super fucking clear i mean it's 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 so it, it's like finding your tribe finding who you connect with that's like that's, right, a, exactly. that's a very that's a very human characteristic right like you want to find your people i get it it's a natural like human response I also think that COVID is sort of creating this culture of people like there was a flower shortage at the beginning of COVID because everyone bought their own supplies, to, like make their own bread from home because no one was going out. So like, I think that's fucking funny too, especially because you said, you said people were baking like five times and I'm like, I know everyone's been baking bread since COVID hit. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, obviously like, you know, you do have necessity, but like people just like the craft of it and you know that's cool um yeah so that was just uh I, that was way off topic but i don't I, know, it I made me, know it just made I, me I, think it made me think because like whole folk horror has a lot of the same l aesthetic especially when you look at like midsomar you know like you, you're wearing you're wearing like you're wearing flower uh, a flower crown you're wearing flowers in your hair that's a very cottage core thing to do and i was wondering are you like, kidding me i walked out of midsummer going i want to go to there <laughs> I want to be a part of that. <laughs> yeah. So I was just wondering because I've never seen that discourse like ever, like you know, because like I, you, you just see this all of a sudden. You see it trending, and you, and like you know, you have like mainstream pieces like Vox or like Variety or something like talk about cottage core. It's like, oh, what is this? And it's like, okay. Oh, no, this I... is definitely the first time I'm hearing of it, but I'm not surprised that it exists in the least. I actually kind of love it though. Like you look at people. I mean, obviously, I know they're posting for photos on Instagram, but like you're looking at people reading books in trees next to streams, and like that's the kind of existence I wanted when I was a kid. I was like, how well, how far do I have to go to like go get lost in the woods so that my parents leave me here, so I can just exist? <laughs> you know, like, we sh we should. You know what we should create? We should create Wicker Core. 
post photos of us burning effigies of stick men and 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 close-up shots of honeybees and are people going to be inside the effigies no 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 that's bad that's arson that's murder that's bad okay we don't we don't do murder we don't just like the people of Summer's Isle. They don't murder people. No, they... They, they, they give they them tra- back to the earth, and they, then they, they, they Yes. They give them back into the earth. We, we, they, they, they go back into this... Their spirit uh, uh, flows back into the soil, and, and, to, and it will make it grow, and then we'll have more bees, and then we'll solve the bee... The, the bee depopulation problem. And we'll keep, we can... We can, we can we can give our thanks to Nick Cage, who is now the sun god. Hail Nick Cage. No. No? I, I won't. No, I'm not going to bring it up again. <laughs> I'm not going to bring it up again. I promised myself last time we did a Nick Cage movie, I wouldn't bring up New Orleans. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I can't. But yeah, no. Am I am I surprised? I I love that you just like introduced me to something. You do realize that now I will probably check that hashtag. Are you going to Are you going to be a new cottage core enthusiast? No, but I'm going <laughs> to check the hashtag every day because yes. there are certain things that just sort of like appeal to different sides of me. Like I said, I wanted to know how far I would have to go to like escape and just go exist in the woods as like a fairy child when I was a kid. All I wanted to do was sit in like in a field of grass and flowers and just read for hours on end. That's all I wanted to do. Well now you can. Now. You can just you can look up like witch core and then you can you can you can see photos of like That's more my aesthetic. <laughs> I think witch core is actually a subculture. Um get the fuck uh, out. No it's not. Yeah I'm pretty sure it or uh, oh god. There's there's so Cottage I know there's like, like a the... whole. I know there's like a whole culture of like, like witch, like witchcraft and like witch practices on TikTok, yeah. which I'm obsessed with. Uh, I think witchcore is less about the actual practice of Wicca. It's just more of like the aesthetic. The aesthetic. You know, like yes, you live in you live in a creepy, creepy cottage in the middle of the woods, and then you you collect like mosses and 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 herbs. Fungi. And, fungi like spell components and then you i don't know um yeah i'm fairly Chris, certain this sounds like something is... you want to get into do you want to like go to a cottage in new england in the middle of nowhere and just exist i i think the i think the one because i'm such a huge fantasy D nerd like the one that appeals no to me you want to go to where they do burning man every year only when no one is around for burning man and just live in the desert so you can react yeah, your mad true. max fantasy wasteland weekend uh, yeah. i am diesel punk that's me <laughs> yeah but i'm also yeah. like i'm also like hobbit core that's another that's another subculture is you're basically it's basically like you know jr token living like a hobbit kind of Kind of feels but left for dread trip to New Zealand to go yes. visit Hobbiton. I'm down. Yeah. Well, I I don't know if we're banned from New Zealand or not. We uh, probably are. We probably are. We're, we're banned everywhere else. If I tell we're... them I have a tattoo from the Hobbit, will they let me in? Uh, can, if we tell them we have matching one rings to rule them all, we have to stop by. I have one you. of those too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, great. We're in. Oh, of course. Yes. Yes, right. Yes, Chris. Yes. We approve your visa. Go. Go to Mount Doom. Okay, that was a great tangent. Just saying. <laughs> anyway, started, I derailed everything. Let's, let's end the show. Folk horror, <laughs> and now we, we ended with hobbits. I love... Oh, God. Okay. On that note.
Thank you for listening to another episode of Left for Dread. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> Everything else. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every Friday. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Left for Dread Pod. You can check us out on our website at leftfordread.com. Yes, and uh, we hope you enjoyed this very, very, very water. <laughs> we water had thing. too much. We had too much honeymead before we started this episode. Yeah, you know what? I I, I was stung full of bee venom, so I'm a little bit woozy and like a little a little bit like everything's all jumbled around in my brain right now, and like it's Not in my bees. eyes, it's in my mouth. The bees, <laughs> the bees. Um, <laughs> I love you, Nick Cage. Nick Cage, I hope you're listening to this. I love you. You're the best. Uh, <laughs> I loved you in Kiss of the Vampire and uh, Gone in 60 Seconds. Oh, uh, and National Treasure. I, I, uh, I love them. I've I, never seen that movie yes. and I don't care to. See, I, I think the other reason. Okay, I don't We're not turning this into a Nick Cage podcast. Oh, no, no. It's not happening. No, this is it's the last happening. thing. This is the last. I swear, this is the last thing. Like, you know. Bullshit. You know, we, were talk- we were talking about Cottage Core, about, you know, just, and like, just love what you love and i think that's like that's the you know that's the big takeaway from this and for me i love nick cage i love this movie you know i mean even though it's a terrible movie but like i i think this movie it holds like a really big sentimental place in my heart because like it reminds me of all my time like living in maryland and dc because i I live i live upstate i live in the tri-state area now so um and DC's not too too far away, but still a drive. Uh, and the it's last time than, I saw than where you were before. Exactly, yeah. And the last time I saw the 2006 Wicker Man, it was part of a, I guess, sort of monthly ritual. Uh, it was called Nick at Night, where me and my friends would just get together. Oh my and just, god! Yeah, yeah, it was called Nick at Night. We just get together, like order like pizza or takeout, and we just watch a ton of nick nick cage movies and just make make just make fun of it and like the last time so i watched haven't you seen kiss of the vampire yet i'm sorry how haven't you seen kiss of the vampire yet i don't know like uh but oh i'm gonna God, i'm gonna Chris. save it i'm gonna save it because we're gonna it's cover so it on this we are this is gonna this is this is left for dread low-key nick nick cage horror podcast i love it i mean uh, like we're gonna do colorado space and we did mandy and mom and dad but like in in the realm of nick cage movies i have it watching him in a remake of the wicker man is higher on my list than watching him in ghost rider and knowing I could give you that. He, I, I, like, well, <laughs> okay. More of the story, Rob. We're gonna start a Nick. We're gonna start a Nick Cage podcast no, as not. a Patreon no, bonus. Leave the audience wanting for more. Don't forget, stay dreadful. <laughs> stay tuned for our Nick Cage Patreon podcast. It's happening. It's on tape. It's happening. <laughs> I'm being held against my own will. I didn't agree to this. <laughs> stay dreadful. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.